You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, I guess first things first this week, how about the big homies, John Anik and Brian Stan, shouting out the Bobby Knuckles nickname this past weekend multiple times on UFC on Fox 24. The biggest of homies right there. That's Lifetime what you're talking about. big homie status unlocked. Yeah. For those fellows. And that comes with a free ice cream sundae. A lot of people don't know that. Yes. Big homie status and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the world's cheapest diner, right? Well, what I like is how, like a virus, the nickname just immediately took hold and spread throughout the MMA universe. You know, that's how you know that that our dude Colby Henches was onto that. Yeah. He's onto something there. Co-main event podcast listener, Colby. Do you think it's Hen- Henches? Hen- Henkes? It's, you and I sitting here trying to figure out how somebody's last name is pronounced is just the blind leading the stupid. And anyway, it's, I not, hope, it's not even do it. I hope Colby Hentage's Twitter mentions blew up yeah. this past weekend, as I imagine they did. How could they not? They must have. Uh, we're going to have more on that later. Uh, how, how's your week going? Anything you want to bring us up to date about? Uh, you're wearing a sweet hat. It's raining outside, so the, I'm wearing my ball cap. This is your rain look. You know what they don't tell you about getting glasses? That it sucks in the rain? Yes, it's a huge pain in the yep. ass when it rains. That's true. So now I got this ball cap. <laughs> problem, problem solved. Problem solved. You do kind of, you're rocking a little bit of a Daniel Cormier off to teach youth wrestling look right now. Thank you. I didn't, I wouldn't say I meant it as a compliment. Thank you. Okay. You might, you must, uh, you should have seen me earlier when I was wearing my, uh, my spring shirt to go in and have my son circumcised at the doctor. Like you do. Yep. Got to put on that spring shirt. Well, I don't want to roll into the. I don't want to roll into the pediatrician and have them, you know, think I'm some kind of bum off the street. Yeah, and then they'll think they can just afford to do a shoddy job on this circumcision. Exactly. I want them to look at me and be like this father of three who drives a minivan and is wearing his like spring check shirt. He would sue us. This yeah. dude would sue us. We need to just tighten up here on this circumcision. Circumcision went great, though. Thanks for asking. <laughs> great. I'm sure we're all very happy to hear that. We got music again this week from our guy Dion Rodriguez, a producer out of Deltona, Florida. Thanks to him for that. If you like what you hear, you can check him out over at soundcloud.com slash dbeats7. And as you know by now, that's the word beats with a Z. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, the mightiest of mice once again proves there is a wide divide between what is awesome and what people want to watch. And in round number two, and the wind mournfully whispered, Chakaray. Chakaray. And in round number three, at the ripe old age of 24, Thug Rose Nama Yunus comes into her own as a title contender. Again, all that plus just saying stuff and are you fucking kidding me? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail comes to us this week from friend of the podcast, Brady Carlson. Been around since day one, I believe Mr. Carlson has. He writes, do we have any insight into whether or not Robert Whitaker will embrace the nickname Bobby Knuckles? Should we start a petition? Now, Ben, we talked about this at the top of the show. 
Uh, and we'll talk about it again, I think, in round number two when we talk about Robert Whitaker's win, surprising and impressive win over uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza this past week. Uh, but there is, uh, there's, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say that there's controversy here, but there's a wrinkle, right? There's a wrinkle in the runaway hit popularity of the Bobby Knuckles nickname, and that is that Robert Whitaker himself has disavowed it now on multiple occasions. Well, I don't know. Disavow might be too strong a word. Just seemed like maybe it wasn't, he wasn't totally down. Yeah, he's not that into it. He uh, wasn't like, yeah, I like that. I know one of our listeners, you know how they do the uh, ask the fighter thing leading up to uh, events now. They film the fighters answering questions. They put it on Twitter. Uh, I know one listener asked him about the Bobby Knuckles nickname before the event, and he said he he didn't really think it fit him. And then after the event, uh, I saw Damon Martin of Fox Sports tweeted that he uh, – that he once again said that he didn't want to use it. Uh, I feel like that's a mistake. Like, Well, it's a, it's a mistake strategically at least because you know the best way to get MMA people to decide that this is your new nickname? Yeah, don't, Tell them that you don't want to be called to that. To say don't call me that, Yeah, right? Uh, and you and I are both fully on the record in our belief that a guy shouldn't be able to choose his own nickname. That's just kind of antithetical to how nicknames work, right? Right. I will say, like... I want to make clear that the Bobby Knuckles nickname as used on the Comey event podcast is a celebration of Robert Whitaker. Like entirely positive. It's a sweet nickname for Robert Whitaker. His name's Robert. He punches people super hard with his knuckles. Hence Bobby Knuckles. Uh, it's better than the Reaper, which just is kind of a, a nothing nickname. It like is. it's just, it just sounds like it sounds the Reaper sounds like a nickname that you might choose if you're playing like a fighting video game and you're creating your own fighter and, you know, he's standing there looking like Ryan Jimmo in the beginning and you have to, like, put all the modifications and stuff on him. And then it's like, choose your nickname so that the, you know, uh, video game announcer has something to call you by. And you might be like, okay, I guess the Reaper. I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. There's nothing wrong with the Reaper. But a conversation that is never going to happen is somebody saying, who's your favorite fighter? And you saying Robert Whitaker and them saying, oh, the Reaper? That's a conversation that's never going to happen. A conversation that would happen is if I asked you who your fighter was and you said Bobby motherfucking Knuckles, <laughs> I would know exactly who you were talking about. And, and then that, we'd high five over that, obviously. That, my friend, is the strength of the Bobby Knuckles nickname. And it's the reason that I wholeheartedly believe Robert Whitaker should embrace it because... You got like 500 dudes in the UFC at this point. Robert Whitaker is currently creeping on a come up in the middleweight division. He's, after knocking out Jacare, a bona fide contender. What you want is people to know who you are and remember you. And Bobby Knuckles is fun to say. It is. It's just fun. Imagine if years ago, Ronaldo Souza had been like, you know what? This alligator thing, it's just not me. Now, granted, the nickname's not going to make or break the guy, yeah. Yeah. right? Okay. But, Jacare. That's fun. That's There that's, you go. That's just a good time. Well, and I, maybe, though, we need to just give him some time with it. Let it sit a little bit. Let him, let him marinate. Let him see the popularity for himself, and maybe he'll come around to it. Maybe every day you wake up, you look in the mirror, and you feel a little bit more like Bobby Knuckles. Maybe it just happens over time. I mean, I'm going to say, I will say honestly, all joking aside, it would be a lot more fun. The conversation would be a lot more fun if Robert Whitaker uh, was into the nickname. Imagine, though, tell me a fighter you think who could show up to like a press conference after a big win, 
hear that they had called him some nickname he had never really had any connection to over the course of his entire career. They called it him twice on the broadcast. Everybody was using it on social media. And they said, how do you like it? Magic, name a fighter who would be like, hell yeah, that's me. I guess that's me now. I've never heard it until right now, but yeah, sure. Okay, let's do that. Well, I, I mean, I think what you're hinting at is that this example is like a microcosm of, of a big, not a big issue, but like a thing about the mixed martial arts universe. And that is you can lead a fighter to a sweet piece of branding. You can't make him drink. Right. right. Well, I mean, with the branding, you could force it upon him. And it seems like maybe that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying maybe over time, Robert Whitaker will realize this is awesome. You know, when the roots of fight, it comes knocking and they're not asking to do a sweatshirt that says the Reaper. Maybe that's when the, 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 finality of it hits home for him i already said this on twitter but as a guy who doesn't particular buy particularly buy a lot of mixed martial arts gear if there was a classy roots of fight style bobby knuckles shirt oh that's in the collection right there would buy hashtag would buy next question this week comes to us from darren drode who writes i admit i'm most mostly sending this question to hear you guys uh try to say tom do du, du a bunch of times pretty quick in conversation but the frenchman looked pretty good too in his ufc debut uh discourse that stuff and of course he's talking about uh the debut of tom Dukenwa, uh bantamweight prospect on the pre- preliminary card of this week's uh this past weekend's ufc on fox 24 where he took out patrick williams the animal patrick the animal williams via uh tko right at the beginning of the second round a lot of hype uh, about your boy Tom Dukenwa. Is it Dukenwa? Dukenwa? As in Dukenwa? Do we have to say this name over and over again? I'm gonna say Tommy Dukes for now. <laughs> we'll just we'll just go with that. Uh, look pretty good, right? You know, uh, pretty much in the end justified. I think the uh, the expectations around this debut had some trouble early with uh, the aggressive wrestling style and some of the striking of Patrick Williams, but then uh, when uh, when Tommy Dukes was ready to go. Uh, he dispensed with his opponent quite quickly. Well, yeah, and he, even when things were going badly for him, you never really saw his style change. That that pressure style that he wanted to put on and that eventually really helped him succeed and and wearing your boy the animal out, uh, which is really what did it more, you know, as much as the elbow strikes in close, it was that he just didn't stop coming, stayed right in his face and, and tired him out. Uh, and even when... You know, he was walking into punches and getting dropped and getting cut open and getting taken down. You still never really saw that resolve change on his part. He was he was still committed to being aggressive and coming forward there. And, you know, I'll tell you, the moment when things are maybe not going that great for you in a fight, you got you got a cut around your eye, you've been dropped, you've been taken down. Uh, maybe a little voice inside your head is saying, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going the way I thought it would. And then you look over and you see the other guy and he's leaning down with his hands on his knees. Yeah, grabbing the the hem of his shorts. Yeah, looking up uh, at the clock, trying to figure out how much time is left in this round until he can get a breather. That's when that little voice goes, oh, wait, never mind. We got this. Yeah. You know what was interesting about this fight was that exchange right at the end of the first round where uh, Dukenwa or Dukenwa, Dukenoy, Duken Tommy Dukes, Landed about three flush elbows to Patrick Williams's face and dropped him like kind of right at the bell. And then uh, either through sheer exhaustion or the fact that he just got elbowed in the face three times, Patrick Williams 
not on the steadiest of legs as he goes to his corner and then uh, still looking a little out of it to begin this second round, which obviously only went 28 seconds. Now on the broadcast, the big homie, Brian Stan, attributed most of that, uh, you, you know, kind of looking a little bit off balance to uh, exhaustion, fatigue. Um, as I watched it, I wasn't so sure, given that that dude just got elbowed in the face three times and, and uh, had to take a little breather before heading over to the stool. Right, well... I mean, we're all at the point of speculation here at sure. this point. It's, it's impossible to know. However, seeing him get up like the exact way you saw the – like it wasn't like his legs were jelly underneath him, which is what we usually see if a guy's just been rocked. They had that weird kind of like sudden stiffness to them uh, when he got up. And that to me definitely seems like a sign of that sudden exhaustion kind of thing. Like – I don't know if you've ever been in any kind of like athletic thing like that. Like uh, I, it's happened to me before, like doing like jujitsu tournaments, especially if you're not super warmed up or not really prepared and the adrenaline really gets to you and you get this weird thing where it's like you can feel your vision closing up uh, into like this tunnel vision thing and you feel that like in your extremities, in your limbs. And it seemed like maybe that's a little bit what he was dealing with there. Maybe you get too hyped up too early in that fight uh, and when you, when you see him get up there and his legs just seem like they kind of go like these – little stiff toothpicks underneath him and he's kind of trying to figure out how to walk to his corner on those that's what that did kind of look like to me uh but then he comes out there to start the second round and you know we all saw what happened there at the end of the first you know tommy duke saw it you know he's going to come right over there and just start elbowing you in the head again and it seemed kind of just preordained from that point what was going to happen yeah now i don't know for sure that this was a member of the missouri state athletic commission but it sure appeared that uh the extent of the doctor visit that Pat Williams got in between uh, rounds was somebody leaning in and going, you okay, buddy? Did you see that? <laughs> you haven't noticed that. I would uh, recommend go back and watch this fight again. Well, you know, I always wonder what exactly we're hoping to accomplish there in between rounds. And those, you know, it's like, what, what was that one? I mean, it was Frank Mir and uh, Junior Dos Santos where between rounds, they were trying to ask Frank Mir where he was. And he said, maybe Mandalay Bay. And he was down the street at the MGM grand. And you're like, well, Okay. And that's when you kind of realize, like, how bad does he have to fuck it up before you're like, okay, this question has told me something. The answer to this question has told me that we need to stop this fight. I would, I just mean, this is just my personal opinion. I would like to see a more thorough medical examination than, you okay, buddy? <laughs> Maybe we can split the difference yeah. between uh, what venue are you in right now and, and, you okay, buddy? Well, you know, and that's one of the things that uh, in boxing, I think, has. A, a little better system with the knockdowns. Like you get knocked down in boxing and the ref will stand you up and he takes your, your hands, rubs the, the gloves against his shirt ostensibly, you know, to get off any grit that you might have gotten uh, when you fell on the mat. But also like so he can feel what it feels like. If it feels like you're you still got some juice in your arms and then make you like walk a couple steps forward so he can see what's going on there. It's harder to do that during the action, like during a round in MMA. But, you know. Maybe a more comprehensive verbal and physical test is needed. Next question this week comes to us from Chris Decker. Chris with a K, Decker with two Ks. You Google this shit? It does not seem to be a famous uh, soccer player. So, Because Chris with a K and Decker with two Ks in it kind of makes me wonder if this dude plays for Manchester City or something. I'm sure we'll hear about it if he does. All right. He writes, does the Russian hammer Artem Lobov, a.k.a. Conor McGregor's quote-unquote protege, according to the UFC's promos for UFC Fight Night 108, make this upcoming UFC fight card in Nashville look bad? Uh, so obviously we got kind of a, a, a 
a main event fight at least between Cubby Sampson and uh, Artem Lobov that does indeed make you look twice when you see this at the top of the card uh, of this upcoming fight show that's on this Saturday night. Uh, I don't, but I don't, I mean, I don't think I can hang that entirely on, on the presence of Artem Lobov. Can you, like, it doesn't seem like, obviously we know Cub Swanson a little bit better. He's been around the UFC and the WEC for years, but uh when I think about this event in my own mind brain, it's not like I think the event that Artem Lobov ruined, right? <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but it does, I mean, we were talking earlier looking at the odds for this fight. Cub Swanson is a 7-1 to one favorite here. When's the last time you can recall, like especially like a non-title fight, not like the kind of thing where, I mean, we could say it with this last fight with Demetrius Johnson where he was like an 8-1 to one favorite, but then that's because he's like the most dominant champ in the sport right now, running out of contenders. So yeah, that kind of thing is bound to happen. But this is like ostensibly, you know, a fight between two featherweight contenders main eventing a fight night card and you got on the odds at least one runaway favorite. I, I guess what I wonder when I look at that is what are we trying to do here? Because to me, it seems like the only decent answer is showcase fight for Cub Swanson. Chance for Cub Swanson to go out there and beat the holy hell out of somebody on, on TV. Everybody gets a chance to see it and kind of help nudge him toward uh, a little bit more stardom kind of thing. Yeah, and you got, you know, Artem Lobov comes in. Uh, he went 11 at 10 and 1 fighting in smaller organizations, which is not necessarily a stellar record. Uh, then he comes in and loses his first two UFC fights, then wins two in a row, his most recent one against Teruto Ishihara. Uh, in Gotta no- be his best win right there. Yeah, all of them by decision, I should say. Uh, in November of last year, he is not ranked officially in the UFC featherweight top 15. Cub Swanson is number four. So when you see, you know, just when you hear those kind of stats and you think about uh, that pronounced gap in the odds it does make you think maybe this is a maybe this is an opportunity to go out there and get cub swanson his fourth win in a row continue to rehabilitate him a little bit since the uh back-to-back losses to frankie edgar and max holloway a couple years ago um it does i mean I, it seems kind of like a showcase fight for cub swanson when you put it that way doesn't well, it and style wise you know when you think about what Aram lobov does like he's going to try to stand there and bang with with cubby samson with his little, with his little T Rex arms, he's gonna try to go in there and lay the hammer on on Cub Swanson. I don't know, man. That seems like a great way to get your whole ship broke, and that seems like maybe the reason this fight was made. You look at this card, and I know we're looking at another six fight main card. Uh, Fox Sports One rolling immediately after the refreshing kiss that is <laughs> UFC on Fox pacing with a four fight main card that gets gets you in and out. This one, I think, actually went over, right? Last weekend went yeah. over the uh, the top of the hour, but it still gets you in and out in under two and a half hours. This, it looks like there's a lot of fun fights on this card, I'm going to say, in its favor. You know, you got uh, John Dodson, Eddie Wineland. You got Jake Ellenberger, Mike Perry. Uh, you got Joe Lozon on the card. He's apparently going to fight Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat, who I didn't know was an MMA fighter, but that's what we got going. And, of course, you got Ally Aquinta against Diego Sanchez, which... There's a lot of crazy right there in that matchup. I don't want to say there's no way that disappoints because I feel like every time I say something like that, it disappoints, but you got to like the way that one looks on paper. Why do I feel like either way, Alakint is crashing a hotel room after that? A 95% chance. Yeah. Rage, he's going to have a few Rage Nals over at Cubby Swanson's, is what I think. Well, they fight on the same card here. I mean, I, I imagine Rage Nals on the house. 
Raging Owls for everybody. Uh, this thing better be pretty damn fun, though, right? Because it's like we're looking at kind of a long haul. And when you get into these low-profile uh, Fox Sports 1 fight nights, usually you get to the main event, and that's the thing that kind of picks you up, right? You you get through this, like, slog of the first four or five fights, and then you get to the main event, and you're like, oh, okay, something relevant, something that's going to uh, make me forget about some of the low points that I just saw. I don't know that you're necessarily going to get that feeling from Cub Sampson versus versus Artem Lobov. I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I feel like uh, Cub Swanson has enough goodwill built up among the hardcore MMA fans, the people inside the bubble. Uh, and if they think that there is a good chance to see him do something unholy to somebody, then yeah, okay, I guess that that's worth sticking around for, at least DVRing for. Um, but you're right, because you look at this card and you do... you. I can already feel the lull of when I get to Ovent St. Prue. Uh, and that one, you know, right there, that's going to be in like our, the end of hour two or the beginning of hour three uh, on just the main card portion of the broadcast. Like, come on. That's, that could be a low moment. Yeah. You need to give your kids a bath or put them to bed. <laughs> right. That's what that fight's there for. All right, last question this week comes to us. Oh, wait, we got two more questions. I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze them both in. Uh, do you want to do women's featherweight or uh, Let's do the other one fighter? first, and then if we have time, we'll do All women's right. featherweight. This one from Brian Saul. He writes, two days until the Ultimate Fighter Redemption airs. Uh, since the double-digit season, Tough has really done a superb job making me feel a part of the show. I mean, after watching entire seasons where during every episode the fighters wake up, Shit talk, van ride to training, more shit talk, then team switch so we don't miss the other sides, training and shit talking, maybe a fight, <laughs> then van home to even more shit talk, followed by the hijinks. After every episode, I felt like I was in that monotonous motherfucking house with them and wanted to get the hell out as fast as possible. Does the redemption theme make either of you want to check out this new season, or is watching tough, cruel, and unusual punishment for you as it is for me? Can it be fixed, or is it like the aging fighter who refuses to retire? Uh... This this gets me. Yeah, I'm Redemption into this. gets me. I'm a little bit into this, I'm at least going to give it a chance. I would say big picture. I don't know that you can necessarily, quote unquote, fix the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Now that we're, what season is this? Like 20? I believe it's 72. Season 72. Ultimate Fighter season 72. Tough 72. But this season, this uh, the latest Redemption season, makes me as interested in the Ultimate Fighter as I have been in years. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I maybe it's just because... I have perhaps unreasonably fond memories of the last time they did the comeback season because I don't know if you remember that one, Jet, but for one thing, that was like tough four or something when we were still, we were not yet completely fatigued of the whole format by then. It still seemed somewhat special and you could still convince yourself that it really, really mattered who won every single season of tough, that it was really going to, they were going to be propelled uh, into important status in the world of MMA. But that one also had your boy, Matt Sarah. Okay, had Shoney motherfucking Carter out there, you know, filling up the pool with uh, empty water bottles. And then when pressed, I believe, by Rich No Love Clemente uh, to explain why he did that, uh, retorted, because I do shit like that. Uh, still one of my favorite responses. You, you have a specific recollection. I'm telling you, season. that one that one had everything. That's also the one where Shoney Carter taught George St. Pierre how to walk like a pimp. If people have not seen that one on YouTube, that clip is available. I highly suggest that you go check it out. 
you know, it had a lot of good stuff in there and it felt a little more meaningful because he had guys who had all been in the UFC and were looking for another chance. And look at what came out of that one. I mean, Matt Serra uh, went on after that one to shock the entire goddamn world when he knocked out George St. Pierre. Uh, Chris Lytle uh, ended up, uh, you know, after his kind of boring fight with Travis Luter in the finals, that changed like his whole attitude toward what kind of a fighter he wanted to be. And he had a great, exciting career after that. You know, that one uh, really did seem like the last one I remember as being really super meaningful. Uh, and the idea of bringing back a lot of those guys now, and there was a real mix. Of, yeah, I was just going to read off some names of the, the, by all of means. the guys that are on uh, Redemption. Tough, I believe it's Tough 25. Tough 25 Redemption. Uh, you got Joe Stevenson. Okay. You got JT Money, Jesse Taylor. All right. You got okay. Ramsey Najim. All right, yeah. Diego Lima, James Krause, uh, Seth Bakazinski. See, James Krause, what does James Krause need redeeming from? Okay, that's go on. A, that's a, I mean, I don't have the answer for that for you. Uh, let's see here. Where was I before I was rudely interrupted? Uh, Eddie Truck Gordon is going to be on this thing. Okay. And then several guys who don't have Wikipedia pages. Tom uh, Galicio, Hader Hassan, Gilbert Smith, and uh, Hector Urbina. What do you get if you win this? Are you just back in the UFC, or we're not giving away? James Krause is shot? like in the UFC already. Yeah, I don't know what what you get if you win this one. Do you That's... think that they called James Krause and asked him if he wanted to be on the redemption season as a chance to get back in the UFC, and he was just afraid to tell him he was <laughs> he was still in the UFC? Yeah, James w- Krause is coming off back to back wins. Yeah, he beat Shane Campbell and Darren Crookshank. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the the promise is here. Maybe he needed a place to stay. Maybe that was it. Maybe he was, his place was getting fumigated anyway. The landlord's making some renovations, and he figured, oh, screw it. I'll go ahead. I'll, well, I'll stay in the house. I'm seeing here on Krause's Wikipedia page that he pulled out of a fight with Ross Pearson citing a torn hamstring, ha- torn hamstring in November 2016. So maybe his redemption is just his hammies all healed up. He's ready to go. Yeah, well, maybe. I, let's just say I am retaining the possibility that this one could convince me to get back in, at least for this season. You know, I'm, if I watch the first one and I'm just like, nope, same old bullshit, just with slightly more recognizable names, then I, and I'm sure a lot of other people are going to bail on it, but I'm going to give it a chance the way I will not give any more like tough Latin America or like tough uh, Canada versus Iceland or anything. You know, all the other stuff, I hear it and I'm just like, okay, so there's another one of those. Like, just let me know when it's over who we need to pay attention to. Um, but this one, I'm actually going to watch it. I'm going I'm to give it a chance. I feel the same way as you, but I feel like I also need to kind of temper your expectations a little bit here because I'm going to tell you there is a 100% chance that it is the same bullshit as all the other seasons. So okay. I think you should just go into it knowing that that's what's going to happen, but you're going to get the chance to see Joe Stevenson kick some ass. Can I at least get Shoney Carter as like a surprise coach? I mean, anything can happen. It's the ultimate fighter, man. True. That pool's not going to fill itself up with empty water bottles. No, it will not. Last question this week from El Guapo. Boss Rutin, I assume, writes this question. He writes, the fuck is this women's featherweight division? Oh, yeah, that's boss. All right. Holly Holm is about to have a match with Betch Cohea at bantamweight. I personally haven't seen the UFC make any noise about bringing in some feathers from Invicta. So at the moment, we have Jermaine Durandamy and her Schrodinger's hand that is both broken and not broken. <laughs> and Cyborg and the... Two still do not have a fight scheduled. What's really going on? I know Chad likes to talk about how the light heavyweight division just needs to pack it in, but this is an honest-to-goodness empty division. It's just two people and tumbleweeds and cobwebs. What is the UFC going to do here? See, this is what you get with the the hyper-literate audience of the co-main event podcast is 
It's a question that starts with simply, the fuck is this women's featherweight division? But then you get a, like, you know, sweet physics reference uh, somewhere in there anyway. I think, though, that this is a question I've heard bounce around a lot, and it seems like the UFC is not really going out of its way to try to make this seem like something it's not, which, in a way, I find kind of refreshing. Like, it seems like in the, you know, if this were four or five years ago, the UFC might be trying to lie to us and tell us that it it really is serious about having a full women's featherweight division and operating it like all the other divisions. And now it seems like it's just doing like, yeah, hey, this is just going to be a thing where there's a title fight every once in a while and uh, a a piece of gold for a cyborg to fight over. Which I think is exactly what I recommended they do, right? But four or five months ago. Oh, are you trying to take some kind of retroactive credit for this? No, I'm I'm trying to make the point that so far it's not going the way I thought it would because I believe I made that point during our discussion about Chris Cyborg Justino, and I was like, just make her the damn champ and like send people over and have them fight her, whoever they are. Uh, Things have obviously not quite worked out that way, even though I think that that was probably the initial... Uh, vision for this division but once cyborg first had the uh she violated she popped positive on a uh drug test for what was it a uh a, a weight cutting agent and then got a retroactive and then retro- retroactively got a therapeutic use exemption from usada which always seems fishy to me yeah to grant a, retroactive tue should just make us all a little suspicious in any case she's back uh she can fight immediately she and the UFC have yet to reach terms on a fight, which we assume will be against Jermaine Randomy for the 145-pound title. I saw this week, I think, Cyborg said they need to book her a fight or release her, which kind of makes it seem like same old, same old between Chris Cyborg and the UFC. Uh, Does she have like an aging congresswoman in Japan to fight or something? <laughs> what uh, else are you going to do? And you could tell kind of in that weird interim period where she was still uh, – officially suspended or awaiting the results of her test or petition, whatever it was. Even Dana White came out and said, I believe it was before the Holly Holm, Jermaine Duranamy fight, even where he was, even he was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. We'll just have to see where this goes, which makes it seem like they could snap their fingers and poof, the women's 145 pound division just goes away. Even such as it is. That would not surprise me. Uh, and I don't, if I'm cyborg, I'm a little bit surprised she's gotten away with being as difficult to work with uh, as she's been kind of recently. Like, really stretching that whatever star power she has to its fullest limit uh, in trying to insist that things all go exactly the way she wants them to. And she can get away with that to some extent because she is really exciting to watch. She is still pretty popular, especially you know uh, when you look at a women's division that doesn't have Ronda Rousey anywhere in the picture anymore. You, you can't just you know, tell Cyborg uh, to go to hell, you need somebody like that around. Um, But if I were her, I might just want to pump the brakes on it a little bit. Maybe say yes every once in a while. Be a little bit easier to work with. Because, like you said, if the UFC decides, like, you know what, this is not working out. We we added a women's division too many. Put that belt back in the supply closet. Uh, And then what do you do? Then you're, you're fighting twice a year in Ryzen if you're Cyborg? Yeah, well, I mean, I think from her point of view, though, the UFC might have painted itself into a little bit of a negotiating corner here by creating this division and clearly wanting her to be the champion, right? Because uh, it could do all of those things that you just mentioned. Uh, it could pack the women's featherweight title up in the mothballs and put it back in the closet or just send it to Demetrius Johnson as one of the ones that it already owes him. But uh, not without a little bit of egg on its face. So I feel like if I'm cyborg, I might feel like I do have a little bit of negotiating 
power right now since, uh, well, we got this division, and what are you going to do with it if not have me be the champion? True. I, I just don't know if there's going to be that many people clamoring to see Jermaine Durand me get in there and defend her title. No, that's right. The only thing she can do is defend it against Cyborg. That's why if you're Cyborg, you think maybe you got a little stroke right now. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the Co-Main Event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. Uh, the newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to think it's funny. And if you don't like it, as we always say, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, just when you think you've seen everything that the flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson can do in the UFC, he goes out there this past Saturday at UFC on Fox 24 and paints what ultimately might be regarded as his damn masterpiece against Wilson Hayes en route to a third round submission via armbar, which honestly, by the time it came, seemed like Demetrius Johnson both took Wilson Hayes down and tapped him out via armbar because he was bored. Or like, it was almost like Demetrius Johnson was like, well, I'm kicking the shit out of you on the feet. Maybe I should take you down and see what happens there. Next stop, the winner's circle, once again, for Demetrius Johnson. Uh, I feel like, you know, every time this guy goes out there and fights, we end up singing his praises. But this one, to me, was even more impressive than your average Demetrius Johnson showing. It was. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like when he takes him down and uh, submits him, almost like, yeah, okay, I did everything I came to do here. I guess uh, checked off everything on my list. Now I might as well go ahead and get out of here and finish it. And, you know, when you watch him on the feet early on in that fight where it seems like, okay, going to work on him... Uh, stick him with a couple jabs, get out of the way when he tries to uncork that big looping right hand afterwards. Then I'm going to work his body with some knees to make him think twice about coming forward into that. Uh, then once all that is done and he's his mind is worried about all that other shit, then I can just go ahead and take him down. Uh, and, and again, one of the things that I always like about watching Demetrius Johnson fights is that uh, he's always one of the guys that looks to pass, looks to advance his position on the ground and look to really get somewhere. And like a lot of the other fighters you see once they hit the ground, if they can get to half guard or end up in the guy's guard, they don't even really think about trying to pass and uh, improve the position. They are content to stay there as long as they can keep the other guy on the bottom. Uh, and all the shit the MMA fans give people who they don't think are looking for a finish, when you see a guy who's looking to pass and in, in so doing is providing opportunities for the other guy to get back up, you know, that's the, the thing you should be applauding is somebody who is going out there and looking for that opportunity because it's going to help him finish the fight. Yeah, and I know I'm not necessarily interested in, in having another conversation vis-a-vis what the hell is wrong with people that they don't like to watch Demetrius Johnson. But this uh, UFC on Fox event, the overnight ratings came out and they are the lowest, I believe, that the uh, the lowest to date for a UFC on Fox event. Uh, and it does, like, just make me wonder, 
what it is about Demetrius Johnson that people don't even want to sit down to watch for free because you start thinking about the things that people typically complain about, about MMA fighters, and Demetrius Johnson doesn't have any of those qualities. Like, he has, what, six stoppages now in his last eight or nine fights? He, I feel like he's exciting. Uh, he's not boring. I feel like the the there is this perception of Demetrius Johnson that he is like a boring dude. But if you actually talk to Demetrius Johnson, that's not really true. Like, right. Demetrius Johnson will uh, spit hot fire in your interview. The only problem is you got to keep up with him because he talks at a, <laughs> roughly the same speed that he fights. And it's a, it can be a little bit like bewildering sometimes to try to talk to the guy. Uh, but he checks all the boxes, man. And if you are into this sport for more than just to watch a glorified bar fight, like if you actually want to watch dudes who are technically skilled in this shit as an actual sport, it's hard to dream up anyone who does it any better than Demetrius Johnson. And particularly in this performance on Saturday night, it was just kind of like uh, mind bending to watch him go out there and be so much better than Wilson Hayes at everything and just be one step ahead of everything that that dude wanted to do. How much of the low ratings are you sure that we can lay at the doorstep of Demetrius Johnson? Because you look at the rest of this card, this card should do well on free TV. It has a little bit of something, everything on this card. You know, you had the, that title fight. And if you say like, okay, people just aren't into Mighty Mouse, whatever, fine. But you also had uh, Bobby Knuckles versus Jacare in a middleweight contender fight, which, you know, if, if the concern is like nobody's interested in the flyweights because they're tiny dudes who do not uh, make people that interested in the violence they can do to each other. How about a couple of middleweights who are going to go out there and crack each other's skulls uh, and who, you know, are kind of at the top of the middleweight division? Like that could have easily been... A, a title caliber fight between those guys. And then you got the women's strawweight and another two contenders were with Rose Namajunas and uh, Michelle Watterson. Uh, you know, we'll talk about both those fights later on, but all around, it's a strong card. It seems like if you can just convey that message to people, they should, it should do a pretty good audience, regardless of whether the main event itself is, you know, enough to, to capture people's attention. Yeah. And as uh... Like, I don't watch a ton of, of network television, so I don't know what kind of advertising this thing got. I don't know what the lead-in was, to be honest with you. I don't know uh, what was on TV right before this. Besides the cops. Pre- the prelims, right? The prelims were, <laughs> right. On, were on Fox right before this. Maybe Bones. Uh, but we do, I mean, you ask how much of it can we lay at the feet of Demetrius Johnson, uh, and I think that's a fair question, and I, I honestly don't know, but it just seems like in this sport we we – evaluate main event fighters according to how the rest or like the overall performance of the card, either on pay-per-view or on television. And we know that the few times that they've tried to put Demetrius Johnson on pay-per-view, it hasn't really worked. Uh, and now, you know, he has this fight against Wilson Hayes on Fox. His last fight was at a tough finale against Tim Elliott, which was actually a cool fight also. Uh, but it just seems like they keep throwing the guy out there they keep putting him in, in relatively big spots, which I think is to their credit, and it just seems like the crowd's not coming. And I, I honestly don't know how to explain that at this point, except the only thing that I can think is that it's because he's a 125-pound man. And But, I mean, I feel like the existence of Conor McGregor kind of 
undoes that stereotype also because you know conor mcgregor's fights at 145 pounds which uh i would argue is not that different honestly than 125 well and it kind of fits with a pattern in the sport where you know, for a while, the UFC didn't even want to have a lightweight division and a lightweight champion because it didn't think that uh, guys that small could draw. Then proved that they could, uh, but then you know didn't want to have anything below lightweight. Had all those guys in the WEC. Then you see guys like Conor McGregor at featherweight. You're starting to see it at bantamweight now uh, with guys like uh, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz. That division is starting to heat up a little bit more. Uh, so maybe it just takes a little more time uh, and the right personality to come along to get people interested. Because um, you're right. Like I think. One of the good things about fighting is, you know, as long as you can get a good shot with a referee, you don't have like big Dan Mergliata looming in the frame to really draw the, uh, put the scale exactly how small the flyweights are at times. You know, when it's just two guys of roughly the same size in there beating each other up, it shouldn't really matter that much. Uh, I, I don't know how much of it is just that it's hard to get across to people who, if they aren't already like MMA purists or MMA hardcores, uh, how good Demetrius Johnson is and the, you know, how impressive it is what he's doing. It also, though, seems that, that at some point we got to just say the hell with it and let it be whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that's an, and that's a good point. What do you do with Demetrius Johnson now? I guess is the question that that brings up. There's been some talk about a super fight with Cody Garbrandt. I think Garbrandt was talking about coming down. That's people, right. People can, con- con- continue to talk about Demetrius Johnson going up because he was, you know, he started out as a bantamweight and was a pretty damn good bantamweight too. Uh, but, Garbrandt's the one who was talking about coming down to 125 to fight for that belt. I know that uh, Demetrius Johnson himself, and it seems like the UFC has poured a little bit of cold water on that idea, at least for the immediate future. This fight against Wilson Hayes was the one where uh, Demetrius Johnson tied Anderson Silva's record of consecutive UFC title defenses. So his next one will be to break that record. Uh, as I look around, man, I don't know that you could find Demetrius Johnson anything better to do from a like uh ratings pay-per-view performance standpoint than having him fight Cody Garbrandt not that I think that that's a blockbuster but like I just don't know what you can give the guy at this point that that would even seem worthwhile honestly well yeah and that's the problem is that if you go by just the rankings uh and you look at you know who would be next in line if we're just doing one two three four he's beat all those guys you know and I think one of the things that made it so that he was so much more impressive against uh, Wilson Hayes than he has against some of the other guys is that we're having to go farther and farther down the list in order to find somebody that he hasn't already fought. And I mean, it's cool and all for him to show out against those guys, but I do think, yeah, if you want to make it seem like this really historic accomplishment, uh, it, it would you do kind of need something a little cooler than that, something that seems like the, the magnitude of the challenge matches the, the history that's supposed to be made. I mean, if Cody Garbrandt can make 125, like if he can actually do that and go down there, man, I don't see why everybody wouldn't want to make that fight happen. I agree. And I think like you kind of got to do it while the iron's hot, uh, you know, so to speak. The iron's not white hot for that fight by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like the best you could do for at least Demetrius Johnson at this point. Uh, anyway, uh, maybe we go ahead and roll Are You Fucking Kidding Me into round number two, uh, which we will get moving into right now.
Well, Chad, your boy Bobby Knuckles, he went out there for what had to be the biggest fight, the biggest opportunity of his career, and goddamn did he ever make the most of it. Didn't just beat Jacare, beat him down. Got hauled down to the floor at one point against Jacare, no matter, just going to get right back up, kicking him all upside his head, and to his credit, Jacare, he can take a shot, man. He can take a hell of a shot, and Bobby Knuckles had no problem feeding him a bunch of them. Uh, that was as thorough a beatdown as I've ever seen Jacare suffer. And then afterwards, Robert Whitaker very coolly gets on the mic and says that, you know, he's been thinking about it and he still feels like Michael Bisping owes him a fight. Now, just as far as what he did in the cage right there, if he goes out there tomorrow, well, not tomorrow, because he needs some time to heal couple weeks from now and he were to fight michael bisping would you not think he's going to be the favorite in a fight like that yeah i think almost any of these top middleweight contenders would be the favorite against the champion which is one of the reasons why 185 pounds is so strange right now such a strange division uh and specifically you're right about robert whitaker just a uh both a surprising and kind of a flawless performance all the way around from him both in terms of the fight and i thought his reaction afterward like, uh, we all like Jacare Souza. Everybody likes Jacare. Uh, so I thought it was, uh, proper and, and the right thing to do for Robert Whitaker to say that, you know, as a fight fan, he felt gutted for, to see Jacare lose. Uh, but it's just kind of the nature of the business in this sport and in this division. So very impressive, uh, performance for Robert Whitaker. Only perhaps could have been more impressive if he would have embraced the Bobby Knuckles nickname. Uh, but nobody's perfect, Chad. All the way around, man. I I got nothing nothing negative to say. Uh, it's and it is kind of a bummer that now we exist in this middleweight division where the the contenders are picking each other off. Like if there's a division in the UFC where you have three, four, five guys that you feel like all could legitimately fight for the title, it's middleweight, and uh, that division right now is mired in kind of a holding pattern as we prepare. We think for Michael Bisping's fight against George St. Pierre. And then whatever weirdness might happen after that. And there's all kinds of weirdness that could happen after that. And you're right. I mean, you can make a, a case right now for Gegard Mousasi, the young vagabond, uh, the soldier of dog, Uel Romero. Uh, now you got Bobby Knuckles in that mix. It would be in a way kind of a shame if just to stay busy and, and just to have something to do uh, while we wait for whatever is going to happen to happen with the title, these guys have to all start fighting each other because – Right now, with those three guys, you can just make a bunch of like round-robin tournaments that would be kind of awesome. And I still maintain that there has got to be some kind of distant hope that whoever wins the Bisping GSP fight immediately retires, and then we do have to have some kind of middleweight Grand Prix for a vacant title. Uh, but it seems like such a a weird kind of statement on where the UFC is and what its current strategy, like matchmaking strategy, is that in one of the divisions where you have the most like talent concentrated at the top right now the mo the most or the greatest number of guys with a similarly strong case for a title shot it's also the the division in which because you're chasing a money fight uh none of those three guys know exactly what they have to do right now yeah and i thought that the michael bisping george st pierre pairing was kind of odd when they first made it uh, it is a fight that obviously we all will watch when it happens. It's an interesting matchup between those two dudes. But, uh, you know, there were just so many other, I'm well, not so many, but a couple of other options for George St. Pierre. Uh, 
I period E period Anderson Silva that I feel like would have just made more sense for uh, his first fight after coming back from his lengthy hiatus and one that where you wouldn't press pause on the middleweight division for so long. Uh, we already know in the wake of this bout that uh, Luke Rockhold, I believe, has been uh, talking uh, either idly or not so idly about getting Robert Whitaker and jumping on, I think, that UFC 213 card. Uh, Robert Whitaker indicated maybe that that would be kind of a fast turnaround. But uh, I guess if you can say anything positively about the suspended animation that the title picture is in right now, at least middleweight continues to be super interesting. And and if you're Robert Whitaker, maybe you can take some solace in the fact that you're only 26 years old, which obviously is not the case for Jacare Souza. And one of the, you know, one of the kind of bummers about seeing him lose this fight is that at 37 years old and having put together so much success, it does kind of stink to see all of that sort of squandered. And, and at his age, you don't know how many more chances he's going to get. Well, yeah, and that is something, I wrote a little something about that earlier today about, you know, what are you supposed to do now? If you're Jacques Array, you're 37, and you have two losses now to two of the guys who seem like they, either one of them could be next in the title picture. Uh, because, especially, you know, he just signed that uh, new eight-fight deal right before this fight. It looked like he was going to head to free agency and fight out his deal. He signed that new fight, and I don't know if you saw the video of him dancing and singing uh, to some bizarre... Uh, Brazilian song in his hotel room in celebration. Naturally, he's not wearing a shirt because he's a professional fighter. Uh, and you wonder, okay, if you're locked down to the UFC for the foreseeable future, it doesn't really seem like you have time, especially in that division, to start over and climb the ranks one at a time. Plus, even if you did have the time, no one can honestly answer for you the question, what do I have to do to get a title shot? Like, especially not in that division. No one can tell you that right now. Uh, not without lying to you. So what are you supposed to do? And it seems like he has entered that territory where maybe the best thing he could do is just to start to look around and be like, would be fun. What would be interesting for people? Like what, who's somebody I could call out? Maybe call out a light heavyweight. Maybe see if you can convince Demian Maya to come up and do a, do a jujitsu dance with you at middleweight. Stuff like that seems like your, your best bet. And then maybe if, if that kind of stuff can keep you relevant, keep you as someone that, that stays in people's minds, then who knows, you know, uh, USADA comes knocking at the wrong time, somebody twists a knee in training, and uh, maybe the phone rings. Yeah, I I just wonder if Jacare, despite the fact that, that you know, he seems popular, has enough uh, political capital to, to, to pick and choose like that, you know what I mean? I just don't know who exactly, I mean, the Damian Maya idea obviously is, is kind of killer, and if you could do that, uh, it makes a lot more sense now than it did whenever we said it didn't make any sense, what, two or three weeks ago when someone asked us a question about it. Uh, so yeah, man, maybe you do, maybe you do something like that. I just. Or are you hoping with a trilogy fight with Chris Camozzi? Is that what you're hoping for? Well, you know, deep in my heart. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to. Maybe a World Series kind of thing between them, best of seven. Yeah, I mean, man, these events in places like Nashville don't main event themselves. That's you gotta, true. you gotta come up with a, a stone cold marketing, uh, lead pipe. Adam Bomb, like Chris Camozzi versus Jacare. Three. Three. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number three. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I know you saw on the prelims a uh, fight between hometown guy Zach Cummings uh, taking on Nathan Coy, and you could tell Zach Cummings coming out there for the crowd in Kansas City like he was intent on giving them a show. Uh fight didn't last that long. Ended just, you know, about 30 seconds before the end of the first round, but was a, a fun one to watch. And yet, when after a bunch of stand-up exchanges, Nathan Coy goes for a, a takedown late in the round, 
Uh, Zach coming gets him in that guillotine, and you can see him getting his hand up like he's thinking about tapping. And then he's not quite able to do it, and he loses consciousness, clearly loses consciousness as he's rolled over into mount uh, with the choke still on him. Uh, and then referee Mike England stands there staring at him for what felt like a long time after that, to the point which, you know, you had Brian Stan and John Anik over there asking him to stop the fight. John Anik politely, in fact, saying, stop the fight, sir, uh, which just uh, Mike England cannot hope for a more respectful address when somebody is trying to tell him, stop fucking around and trying to get somebody killed out there. Are you fucking kidding me? How does it take you so long? Everybody else in the arena can see that the dude is out. You're going to stand there looking at him, then you're going to check his arm for a little while. You've done this before? Because it seems like that's not the situation you want to be caught on your heels in. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Indeed. I hope that, like me, you had to click on, when you saw that Nathan Coy was fighting on this fight card, you had to click on his name to make sure that it was the Nathan Coy, that he's still hanging around. I thought for a second I was going to be watching a Strikeforce Challengers event. Their sport fight way back in the day. Ben, uh, details are a little bit sketchy at this point about uh, the departure of our guy Mauro Ronaldo from the WWE and returning to the to the ranks of legitimate fighting and, and uh, you know, going over there to be the announcer at Ryzen FC now, which I think is a, a good spot for Mauro. But, you know, some of the uh, the rumors and reports that I've seen indicate that maybe Mauro Ronaldo uh, was essentially forced into exile in the WWE because he was being bullied by fellow grown man John Bradshaw Layfield, uh, to which I say, are you fucking kidding me? Just a couple of grown men in a business relationship and one of them is going to bully the other guy until he has to leave the company? I'm not even sure what to make of that, Ben. And in addition to that, I feel like I've seen at least some people in the WWE sphere kind of circling the wagons around uh, JBL. And clearly, as I say again, we don't really know what the truth is here in this situation. Uh, but an additional, are you fucking kidding me? If you are out there sticking sticking up for bullying, seems like I thought we, thought we crossed this bridge maybe like 10 years ago. Fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me. You know, one thing I I heard about that, you know, I talked to Boss Rutten recently for that big story I did on Pride. Yeah. And you know, he's boys with Moro Ronaldo. Indeed. The word on the street was that Boss Rutten had to be talked out of getting on a plane to go beat the shit out of JBL when he heard about all this bullying stuff going down. Good kind of friends to have. Yep. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, despite the fact that she's only 24 years old, I kind of feel like Rose, Thug, Gertrude, Namajunas is one of these fighters that feels like a family friend to the audience. Six fights deep now in her UFC career, goes out there and gets the second round rear naked choke victory over Michelle Watterson after kicking her right in the damn face in their co-main event bout at UFC on Fox 24. Up to this point, Ben, I think that, uh, you know, Rose Namajunas had, had been this person who came out of that season of the Ultimate Fighter where they eventually crowned the first ever UFC women's strawweight champion, uh, as the most hyped member of that cast. 
but then ended up losing that title fight to Carla Esparza in December 2014. Uh, and so Nama Yunus has kind of given this impression of being an immensely talented kind of natural fighter who is still trying to put all of the pieces together. Well, and who was still pretty green yeah, and still is. I mean, still this was is. just her ninth professional fight when she fought and lost that title fight. That was her fourth professional fight. Good God, man. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, you count the fights on the show or whatever, but still like the youth and the inexperience, everything. She obviously needed some time to, to grow a little bit and get some seasoning. But now that you see her, it does seem like since she's still so inexperienced and so young, every time you see her, she seems to have jumped up a few extra levels. Right. She seems different each time, which you don't see as much with older fighters. Right. And I would argue as close to looking like a finished product as we've seen at any point in this win over Michelle Watterson. It's kind of uh, sobering to think that Rose Namajunas could easily fight for another 10 years before the final verdict on what her career legacy is is reached or even like you know comes close to to having a f complete picture and in that regard uh what she's been able to accomplish so far is kind of remarkable and at this point you might consider her the de facto number one contender in this division after uh Joanna Jacek and Jessica Andrade fight at uh are they fighting at UFC 213 also I think they might be in May yeah, I don't know. I'd it's have coming, to check the record. It's coming right up. I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, she definitely got on the mic after this thing was over, said she wanted next. And uh, the UFC seems inclined to agree with her at this point. Um, I would figure almost anyone is probably going to be the betting underdog to Joanna Jacek if that's the way it goes. But, man, Thug Rose against Joanna Violence. I will watch that. Here's what I wonder. If, let's say, that Rose Namajunas' next fight is for the title. Are you doing her a disservice in any way by having her have two title fights by the time she's reached 10 professional fights in her career like, and before her 27th birthday, potentially? Are you – because we've seen it before where you give somebody a couple cracks at the title and if they don't get there, it gets progressively harder and harder to get back there. And it might be exactly the case in a division like this where it's not like – you know, men's lightweight or men's featherweight where there's just a wealth of talent. And so uh, you have to get like a six or seven fight winning streak before they even start talking about you for the title. Maybe it'd be a little easier in that division. But it also seems like maybe you you get you push her into these situations that she's not quite ready for too soon. And you do it over and over again. And pretty soon it, it has to have a negative effect on her career overall. Right. Yeah, and that's why this one, I think, was a little bit different. Previous to this, you know, even as she was putting together that three-fight win streak after the loss to Carla Esparza, like, Rose Namajunas had not been trying to push herself into another title fight. She seemed to be, you know, slow playing it, if anything else. And then, obviously, she had that split decision loss to Karolina Kovalkiewicz at, at UFC 201, uh, which kind of, once again, made it feel like she was still uh, trying to get all of those skills that she has to kind of work in concert she gets this win impressively over Michelle Watterson, and then she gets on the mic and calls for the title shot. So to answer the question, are you doing her a disservice? I feel like uh, from a uh, from like a preparedness standpoint, maybe because one of the most remarkable things about Rose is that I feel like she still hasn't reached her full potential and may not for several years. So maybe you do her a disservice from that regard, but she's asking for it. She's a promotable entity at that 115-pound 115, 115 division, which needs all of them that it can get. 
And as you said, it's not the deepest division in the world. And on top of all that, I think if you throw her out there with either Jessica Andrade or Joanna yeah, Jacek, uh, it's not like this is going to ruin Nama Yunus's career if she loses, because like we said, she's still got another decade that she could go in this sport. Uh, and so it's not like a, a complete dead end for her. True. Uh, and, you know, we talked before about whether one of the consequences of the sale to WME IMG is a little bit more of a focus on the women's division. Here you see one where it's a network TV card on Fox and you got a co-main event uh, between, you know, two women's strawweights, two very promotable women's strawweights. Um, it made me think, you know, we talked a little bit about this when Rose Namajunas fought Paige Van Zant in the, the, I believe it was the main event, one of those fight pass cards on like the, where it was like three three events in three days. Um, and I, and it seemed like there was a picture, a great picture at the weigh-ins uh, that really captured something about where the UFC's head was at, kind of where, you know, you had them stand side by side at the weigh-ins and you had Paige Van Zant. Um, you know, looking like she was at the high school regional all valley cheerleading competition, and then opposite her, Rose Namajunas with her head freshly shaved, glowering with her hands up, and it was kind of like who the UFC uh, should be promoting versus who it is promoting. Uh, and then she went out there and put a beating on Paige Van Zandt, and now it seems like maybe the lesson has been learned a little bit, like that you the promotable women's entities don't always have to look exactly the way you think they do. Like, cause Rose Namajunas is somebody, I think you get her out there in front of people, give them a chance to see her and see what she's all about and kind of hear her story and everything. People are going to get behind that. I mean, oh, that, yeah, she, she is a really likable uh, fighter and somebody that people are really going to want to cheer for. I completely agree. And I think, uh, not that I'm saying you're wrong because I think by the time that Rose Namajunas fought Paige Van Zandt, what you're saying may very well have been the case, but you go back in the, in the Google archives and you will, you know, maybe, maybe we have forgotten, but the UFC tried to put Rose Namajunas over pretty big during that season of the ultimate fighter, uh, where they were ultimately crowned the strawweight champion. You know, Dana White said that there was another Ronda Rousey on, in this stat, in this, uh, group of contestants and she was everyone assumed he was talking about Rose Nama Yunus and then Ronda Rousey came out and said she was beautiful and charismatic and had all the skills to be the next really influential champion so you know those are the two UFC those are the UFC's two biggest promotional guns at the time getting behind Rose Nama Yunus I just think that it's you know after that loss to Carla Esparza uh, obviously that hype cooled and she had to kind of rebuild herself and now has rebuilt herself a couple of times and I think is poised to be, like I said, a promotable entity in this in this division. And I do hope that WME IMG sees that and latches onto it. And re- kind of kind of regardless of who wins that Yedjechik Andrade fight, which by the way is at UFC 211 next month, uh, either of them against Rose Namajunas for the title is probably the biggest fight you're going to be able to make in the strawweight division this year. I would think. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I think that that's when you might start to see uh, a little bit of what is possible with the, the women's strawweight division. Because we've been saying for a while uh, that it seems like Joanna Yanjechik is somebody who should be a real breakout star. It has all the pieces in play there. I I think that we still have not yet seen what can be done in that division. Uh, and but I, I think that there's hope to think that uh, we're going to find out fairly soon and that... Uh, it's getting more of a spotlight uh, at some of these big events. All right, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then uh, 
then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff for this week? Chad, I'm just saying that there I was on Saturday. Uh, you know, it's getting a little bit on late in the afternoon, on into evening, but before the main card has really started on Fox. I'm sitting there on my couch, you know, watching the prelims, and I see, wait a minute, Roy Nelson is on this shit? Roy Nelson is on this card? How the hell? How the hell did I not know that? He's, you know, the prelim main event, as it were, uh, for UFC on Fox 24, right before we switch over to the main card, also on Fox, so this distinction is kind of meaningless. But there's Roy Nelson. Roy goddamn Nelson. And he's fighting Alexander Volkov. And when you come over here and we start talking about this fight, we're going, wait, is that the guy? Is Alexander Volkov the guy who was Bellator heavyweight champ and then kind of disappeared? No, no, that's not him. That was a different Russian guy. Oh, no, but he was also a guy who was Bellator heavyweight champ. What the hell, man? I'm just saying that somehow you have a heavyweight fight featuring Roy Nelson who not too long ago used to really be somebody in the eyes of the UFC against a former Bellator heavyweight champion. And it was just, it somehow just kind of popped up on the TV with what felt like no real warning and no real push behind it. I'm just saying, how the hell did that happen, man? How the hell did that happen? And Roy Nelson not even ranked according to the UFC. Alexander Volkov is ranked like 11. Is this what has become? What Am I in some kind of bizarro world? Just saying. Just saying. Man, you know who's got a pretty good thing going right now? Who? Jeremy Stevens, the little heathen. You want to know why? Why? Because he's this dude that's going to go out there and try to punch everyone in the face super fucking hard. And if you're the UFC, you still need that guy to put him on the curtain jerker of your network TV shows or your pay-per-views. But I guess I'm just saying, now that the little heathen is one in three in his last four fights... You know how many knockout wins Jeremy Stevens actually has in his last 10 fights, Ben? How many? Two. Hmm. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Pretty good work if you can get it, I guess. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at this upcoming fight card, matching Cub Swanson against Artem Lobov uh, in the main event. And then what are we doing after that? Are we looking ahead to something? We got UFC 211, Stipe Miocic and uh junior dos santos but that's not till may 13th so uh we'll figure something out figure something out as for right now though we are done we are through we are out so the, this hat is this is this going to become a normal part of the wardrobe i've or had this just... hat for like two years man you look like uh are you headed to like a like a booster event for the Grizz football team i think we're gonna have a really exciting year this year you guys got a pizza party tonight? Really glad you brought that out. Is there a raffle? As long as we get the uh, quarterback situation.